Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Positively excellent, because there's no other way to be. Well, I'll tell you what, we are enjoying a string of fun shows here lately. Of course, most recently, we've had some fun topics. The old King of the Ring, 1998. We got a little Sable action. But what was your feedback from last week? I'm interested to hear what you thought people thought. Uh, about last week's episode. Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake, man, I think was a lot better than I expected it to be. And, you know, we only covered the years that, that I was there with Brutus. And there's so much more about Brutus, too, that I felt we even could have covered. And it was still three and a half hours or however long it was. And even even Beefer himself liked it. Yeah, listen, he liked it, and I think all the Beefcake fans liked it, and obviously we made some new fans for him, too, uh, because we sold some books, man. If you haven't already, go check the book out. It is one of my new favorite wrestling books, just because he's slinging the dirt, and he's not scared to call it like it is, man. BrutusBeefcake.com is where you can get your book, and he's even doing them autographs, so check that out if you haven't already. He's going to be at StarCast, and it's like everybody and their brother is there, but who won't be there? It's Mr. Muhammad Hassan, and that's what we're covering today on today's episode. I have a feeling a lot of people are pretty nervous about this episode today. Your thoughts? I, I don't know why anybody would be nervous about it. It's, it's a wrestling angle with wrestling characters and talking about real life, man. So if you've got something to be nervous about, then you need to go find a mirror and look inside and explain why the hell you're nervous. So let's talk about the man behind Muhammad Hassan, because really people only know about the character. What can you tell us about the man behind the character? Well, uh, played by a gentleman by the name of Mark Capani, and Mark was a wrestler that was in the developmental territory in Ohio Valley Wrestling. He had come in, and he was one of those young guys, worked his butt off, had a good look, had a good body, busted his ass, uh, that's really about all I knew about him, man. He, he was just one of those young guys that was down in developmental, had a good look. He's from uh, North Syracuse high school. He graduated in 98 and he was born in November of uh, 81. Uh, and then he goes on to college and ultimately decides, you know what? I want to drop out of college and pursue a career in the wrestling business. So he winds up in Ohio Valley wrestling in 02. Um, and eventually makes his debut later in 02 as Mark Magnus. What was the rap on Mark Magnus when you first heard about this young upstart? You know, just, just a young guy kind of had the teen idol look, I guess about him. Young, good looking guy. Typical. He's a baby face motherfucker with good looking goddamn baby face. The girls will love him. So that, that was that was the essential rap. He wasn't was an extraordinarily big guy. wasn't extraordinary. Didn't have a unique look or really a unique story to him, and uh, kind of average, really. Well, here's the deal. He he winds up working with a lot of talent names you would recognize: Johnny Jeter, Shelton Benjamin, Red Dog, uh, David Flair, the Disciples of Sin, Chris Cage. There's a ton of talent in OVW. Even guys like Nick Dinsmore, who recently hit us up on Twitter to say. Hey, I'm just now listening to the archives and WWE does not own Eugene. So our apologies, apparently, uh, in an episode from a year or two ago, you may have referenced the character as being a WWE creation, but apparently Nick is proud that he owns the Eugene character. 
He may he may own the name now. That was definitely a WWE creation, though. Well, one hundred percent. Well, there you go. Looks like we got another Twitter feud going. Uh, tell us. I don't want to get in a feud with. He may own the name now. He may have got it. We may have let the let the name go. His trademarks go and what have you. Or may have never even trademarked it. But the gimmick and the whole thing about it that was that was us. He becomes the OVW Heavyweight Champion in October of two thousand three. A couple of months later, he loses the belt in a three-way with uh, Jeter and Dinsmore. And around this time, he's approached about the WWE's interest in making a new character. And I guess we should at least address the fact that this is roughly two years after 9-11 and the United States is involved in a lot of conflicts in the Middle East, uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq. And there's just lots of unrest over there. And much like... We did as we examined the WrestleMania seven show, which is available in our archives at something to wrestle.com there. They did it with slaughter here. They want a representation for, I guess what we would call a quote unquote Arab character. And Mark is approached with this idea, even though he's Italian. When do you first remember hearing the idea of, Hey, why don't we get us an Arab? Well, the idea originally came from Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon was looking. We always went with trying to mirror society and trying to mirror what was going on in society at the time. What what's happening in the news? Is there something that we can pick up upon and be able to bring that into the entertainment world and and tell stories about it? Something people can relate to. That was that was definitely in the news. It was still in the news. And Vince felt that it had been long enough and that it was, again, real life. It was topical. It was it was still in the news every day. And you look around and you look at the way the just prejudices of people that it was a natural progression based on the way that we had done business for so many, many years in the wrestling business. And thank goodness that you know, so much of that has changed and that we've all grown up a lot. And I think that society has changed too an awful lot that you probably wouldn't do the, that today. But at the time, that, w- that was a formula. That was a formula that had been proven to work time and time again. Well, and you guys are certainly going back there. Um, what can you tell us about the development of this Muhammad Hassan character? What's that creative process look like? Just put us in the room for a minute. You know, it is a tried and true thing in wrestling to just capitalize on this. So I get it, but the actual name, the look, uh, what's that sound like? Just freestyle for a minute. Well, yeah, you know, so much of it, as I said before, was trying to mirror society and you look at people and we all had friends that, you know, Arab Americans and an Arab American is no different than an American. It's like a Mexican American. So they're. Maybe their family's heritage is Mexican, but they were born in America. They were raised as Americans and proud of it. So there were those people that were born in the U.S. that because of their ancestry were discriminated against and that people treated them differently because of the color of their skin. And Vince looked at it as, God damn, they're, they're Americans. Just because their ancestors came from Saudi Arabia or their ancestor came from Iraq. Why are they treated differently? And Vince would pose all these questions that 
you know, you, you sit back and you think there is no reason why they would be treated differently. There's no reason why anyone should be treated differently. This is, but, but they are. That's just a fact of life because his name is Muhammad automatically without ever seeing him, without ever knowing anything about him, anything else. You see Muhammad at that time, automatically the red flags go up. If you're looking at a no fly list or you're looking at a transcript of, of everyone that is on an airplane, you see Muhammad. I, I don't care who you are at that time in the country. It raised a red flag. And people are going to go, well, he's Mohammed, then he's got to be Arab. He's got to be one of them damn terrorists. And, and uh, we're going to check him out, make damn sure he's okay before he gets on our plane. That's what was happening in the world at that time. Right. That's just real life. Right. So we were, go we were going out to exploit that. We were going to exploit the fears of everyone in America all over the world and just exploit the the racist views, the prejudices, and the real-life feelings that were happening ever, on every single corner of the earth. Let me ask you a little bit about the decision to pick Mark. Why was Mark the guy? Was there anybody else considered for this? And who said, hey, I got the guy. What about... You know, I think that it was... Johnny Ace, who actually recommended Mark for the role because he, he looked uh, to be Arab. And, and he, uh, I, I want to say somebody told us that he uh, was, had some Arab ancestry in, in his lineage. So that was like, okay, hey, great. He looked, he looked the part, uh, good looking guy. And that was what one of the things that Vince wanted to portray. Here's an ordinary looking guy. But when he tells you about himself, does that make you feel different about him? Right. When, when, when you first see him and, and, and yes, you know what, man, he, he looks like an Italian. You know, frankly, Conrad, he looks like a, a, a version of you with shorter hair. You know what I mean? But you open up your mouth and all of a sudden I know, well, you're just a good old boy from Alabama. Right. Now, if you were to open your mouth and you were to spew out that your name is, you know, Muhammad Thompson – and you start talking about how you've been mistreated because of your first name and you start spewing out things, truths about America that people don't always want to face and admit, then, you know, same thing could be done and said about you. So it was trying to get that average looking guy. But then when you tell his story to get the reaction from people that go deep down, yeah, I don't try, you know. If his name was Mark, hey, good old Mark. Get yeah, up, yeah. is that Mark? But Mohammed? That damn Mohammed. You can't trust nobody with a damn three-syllable name. You know, what's funny is, you know, there's this old cliche that, you know, when you're looking for like a, a, a classic villain, a bad guy, bad guys don't think they're bad guys. Bad guys believe that, you know, what they're doing is right and fair and just and what you just laid out is exactly that. You know, he's trying to tell you things that, you know, you, you may know are true. You just don't want to really admit. Exactly. And that makes the best heel. Absolutely. So let's talk about the way the character was pitched to him. He says, quote, I liked it. I always had a feeling it could wind up bad. They prepared me as well for what they could and would happen. Nobody was really prepared for what did happen. My initial thoughts were that it was good heat. Jim Cornette was one of the guys who pitched it to me and he was right. 
it's sustainable heat. There was the iron chic and all these xenophobic fears of people different in this country for a long time, but this was a new and fresh take on the Muslim Arab gimmick. And I thought it was cool. I was ready and I wanted to do it. Is that basically the way you remember it? You know, I mean, obviously he's excited to be on the main roster and on TV, but when he's coming in, in a spot like this, even though it may be controversial, he's got to know he's going to be featured and it does sound like a fresh take. So it's checking a lot of boxes here. Well, it was a fresh take and I don't know if he even knew it at the time, but I'm sure that he began to figure it out. This was Vince's baby, right? This was a Vince idea and this was something that Vince was passionate about and Vince was going to do whatever it took to get this character over and to make it work. That's the plus side if you're a talent. Because, man, he's come hell or high water. The New Day is, is a prime example of current day. Where when the New Day came in, I'll never forget watching it with Booker T. And the first time I saw Xavier and I said to Book, because I'd worked with Xavier and TNA, I said, that's a talented little son of a bitch right there. I said, man... Those son of bitches are just, he's going to be a baby face. And Vince was determined to make them heels, but he's just had, they, they have those over the top personalities that, you know, he made it work. He made them work his baby faces. <laughs> now when they turn heel, they'll mean that much more, but this was the same thing. He was determined to make this work. So he winds up wrestling his last match in OVW in like March of 04. And he works his first house show for WWE on the raw brand, losing to Maven by DQ on September 25th. What's the reason to keep him off TV that long? No real reason. Just being ready for, to prepare for the gimmick and to prepare for making it right, making the right kind of debut. And there were a few, uh, false starts that just never really, you know, turned into anything. And then it just became timing. There wasn't really a reason. It just kind of happened that way. So what do you remember about, you know, the first versions of this character, you know, when you're shooting the vignettes and all that? Well, you know, the, the vignettes were something that, that Vince had had an idea and he wanted to start off and present this character as the guy that we run into every day whether it be at the convenience store, whether it is at the grocery store, or whether it's walking through an airport, whatever it is, we wanted him to be identifiable so that everybody can say, hey, I know a guy like that. But then to have a heel slant on it and for him to talk about that, while well, I am just a self-employed business owner. You people treat me different because of my name tag. I am the same as you. I was born in this country. I went to school in this country. I got a degree. I purchased my own business. I've worked hard for this, but you treat me different because of my name. And it was just bringing up, you know, man, that's cold, hard facts. No matter what, you know, we say, man, we're a country of, of racist and prejudice. And that's the world. I mean, every, every single country has it. And we were just exploiting that on this level and, and with this particular character. So let's talk about that because this vignette actually airs on the November 4th raw and it's pre-taped of course. And that's where we see him and Davari and he's explaining exactly what you said, that he's no terrorist, 
but he's been treated as one, but he sort of manages to turn everything here in this promo into some heat with the live crowd who is really just sort of watching long do to do to do as you like to say. But then when he says praise Allah, it elicits booze from the crowd. And then he has Davari translate who wrote the first vignette. And did you guys know that praise Allah was going to be the money for this live audience? Of course it did. Um, it was, it was so simple because the vignette was presented in a way that just, here's a guy and he's telling his story and it could be a success story. And frankly, it was a success story, but as soon as he says, praise Allah, those people in America were fuck you. They didn't understand Allah. All they knew was that there were some folks, some zealots, what have you, that attacked this country who followed a certain religion. And that's how they took it, that, that this group of people had attacked our country. Um, and by God, God bless America. And you're not going to come on here and you're not going to praise Allah or anybody else. And the funny thing about it was, was the debates just in the writer's rooms over what we should and what we shouldn't say. Because, you know, there were folk there. We had Jews who felt pretty much the same way. Okay. And. They're like, you know, going, hey, in certain parts of the country, the Jewish religion is discriminated against. In certain parts of the country, man, there's Baptists that are discriminated against. No matter where you go, there's always going to be discrimination and hatred. So when there was arguments from within, as we're talking about this character for different things, that actually felt good because it was debatable. And you knew if we were talking about it and debating it, that the audience would talk about it and debate it as well. It was it was a real issue, a real topic. Uh, we had uh, one of the kids that was of Indian descent, and he uh, thought he was a lot smarter than he was. And, and no, I'm not talking about Dave Kapoor because Dave Kapoor is is still there and an extremely talented and very good writer, and evident by the fact that he's still there. But this other guy felt, oh no, he had. He had the the in on the Arab feelings, or I don't know what the hell it was, but it just complicated things to the point where when we found ourselves overanalyzing everything, it just came back to the simplest stuff. You say praise Allah to a crowd in Detroit. You know what? Fuck Allah. Fuck anybody. Fuck anybody that doesn't believe the way I believe. Right. That's that's and the message. That's the message. Yeah. Not, and that's, that's the feeling. Not, fuck, not fuck all of folks, right, please. Right. I'm not saying that, please. Um, to be clear, but that's the message. If you don't believe what I believe you're wrong. Right. That's what you're trying to play on. Yes. Well, I mean, I guess we should just talk about, you know, you're perpetuating a stereotype here. You're playing into people who are, um, I don't know. I mean, I understand that this is what's done in wrestling and, and, and I guess you have to sort of just, it's what's done in entertainment. It's what's done in news and media every single day. Is there anyone in the back who's sort of pushing back saying, guys, I know we could, but should we do this? 
Um, you know, not really that I remember. I, I think that there were people that felt uneasy about it because it was real life. And it was still, you know, those wounds were still new. It wasn't, it wasn't like doing a Japanese heel character in 1979 when World War II was long over. Okay. Uh, there was a different or doing a German heel character at the time. This was two years removed. So the wounds were still fresh. And I think that there, you know, I would always go back to Fred Blassie talking about being the first American in 1950 or whatever it was in the fifties to go over to Japan and play a heel and him saying, he goes, you know what? I'm an American. I had a lot of friends that, that I lost in the war, but I was there to make money. And these people didn't do anything to me. And it was an opportunity to make money. Ricky Dozan was very good to him. And, and it, we, you know, we can remove ourselves from it. To him, it was entertainment. So I've always been in that vein that this was entertainment. This is no different than making a movie about it. Well, I guess we should mention before you guys actually put this vignette on TV, he had been working a lot of the house shows through November and December. He even worked a dark match on Sunday night heat in early October and a dark match for taboo Tuesday, where he lost to Sergeant slaughter, which feels like there's a joke in there somewhere. When you guys first air this initial vignette, what's the response that you get? Is there any sort of activist group who's giving you some feedback? Does the network have a strong opinion? Once the first one makes air, any blowback at all that you remember? You know, no, not that I remember. I remember there were some concerns as to where are you guys going with this? You know, where are we going? Uh, there were some international partners that felt that it was, you know, pro-America doesn't play well in other parts of the world. <laughs> so to us Americans here, by God, it's, it's USA, USA, USA. To an audience in France or an audience in India or other places in the world, um, there's not that patriotic feeling. And, and those characters don't ring as true, which is probably why you don't see them as much today. And it's not the anti-pro-America. It's not the pro-America and anti-everybody else. It's just be proud of your country and move on from there. So it, it's just uh, not a lot of pushback, no. Where did you guys uh, find Davari? You know, I know that we've talked about where Mark came from, but what about Sean? Sean was a uh, interesting deal, man. Sean was from Minneapolis and he had come in and he had worked for us at television tapings, putting guys over it done some tryouts and, and different things. And he used to do this, this gimmick, the flying carpet where he'd go up to the top rope and he would come off with, uh, it was basically a leg drop from the top rope. And sometimes he'd take his carpet and put it under there. And he was, I think he Iraqi descent. I don't know. Uh, I'm not really sure what nationality he is, but he also looked the part and he spoke Farsi, I believe is the correct language. Um, and we felt that you know, obviously Mark did not. And we thought if he had a manager, same ilk, that could speak the language. And again, and you think about this, this is the other thing I always have to laugh when people would say to, to a 
someone not from the United States that would come into the States and they would try and speak your language or they could speak your language. It's like, oh, that dumb son of a bitch. But yet, in most other countries, English is a second language and they learn it. In our country, we learn English and we don't make an attempt, not many of us, to learn other languages. And that always just fascinated me that other cultures encourage multilingual. So here was a chance. Anytime you have a, a guy speaking to you in another language that you don't understand, you hate him. I don't know what he's saying, but I bet it wasn't good, Ethel. When things start to get a push, I mean, did anybody really know? I mean, obviously some of this is the performer. Some of this is the writing, but a lot of this is how the fans are going to react, you know? And so when you start to get reactions right away, do any of the boys have a certain feeling one way or another? Because now you've got a guy right out of developmental who's going to be here in a featured spot. And it is a gimmick that gets a little bit of heat. What's the feedback you're getting? Are you getting some negative feedback from some of the boys? A, because it's a new guy and B, because, well, they can sort of cover it up with, we don't like the gimmick because do you remember any, any sort of feedback from the guys? I, you know, I don't know. There was really much feedback. The, there was more curiosity. What the hell are you going to do with this? And there's always from guys that are not on top, there's always going to be that jealousy factor of why him and why not me? What, why are they bringing this brand new guy in to do a brand new gimmick and putting any effort behind him instead of putting effort into me when I'm, when I'm already here? Yeah, there was a little bit of that because he was new. Um, same thing with, with Dabari. But for the most part, the what I recall was guys having a genuine, what the hell are they going to do with this? How far are they going to take this one? And that was the question. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the, the reaction that we get when we air the second spot, because this second vignette is a totally different one. This one happens in a convenience store and Hassan says that it's his uncle, a car store, and he's worked long and hard to establish it. And he says his uncle came to this country with only a few dollars, but now he's achieved the American dream and bought his own store. But everything changed after nine 11, there's no equality for Arab Americans. And now his uncle has to close the store because people like you choose not to support him anymore. And if he has to, he'll beat the prejudice out of all of us. And he'll even lead a revolt against his very own country, the United States. So this is a, a pretty powerful vignette. What's the feedback you get? Well, again, it's, it's the truth and it was happening. It was happening all over the country. And, uh, especially where there was a large Arab American population in, in specific, the examples that we were using was what was taking place in Detroit because they had a, a large Arab American community there. So, these things were actually happening. People stopped supporting, you know, the gas stations and the, the stores and the grocery stores that these people had spent their whole life working to own. And because of their last name or their first name or the way they looked, people stopped supporting them and they found themselves with nothing. 
after they had worked their whole life and busted their ass to achieve something. And it was that prejudice. That was real life. That that was exactly what was happening in America at the time in parts of the country. So we were taking real life stories and just plugging them in. So if you're watching our, our show and you happen to catch uh, ABC, CBS, or NBC Nightly News, chances are you had heard a story very similar to this, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I wonder if they're talking about that boy there on uh, on TV, that wrestling fella. I bet you that's his uncle they were talking about. We just sold the story, ripped it from the headline of the news. Well... You know, this is uh, one of a, a series of vignettes. Let's talk about the third one. This one, he's acknowledging that WWE requires a lot of travel. And so he has to go through airport security and we're inside of an airport for this vignette. And he says that these days we must all endure a certain amount of inconvenience, but America has become prejudiced towards him just based on his name. He says that he and his manager are both routinely strip searched and now he's demanding the same rights as any other American. Obviously the airline thing is a good play, but allegedly some of this segment even winds up edited off of TV in the UK. When you realize that the networks are starting to edit some of these vignettes, is that a heads up maybe to pull back or does Vince say, give me more. No, and again, it was the UK, and there were sensitivities to that stuff. There was different sensitivities in different parts of the world to everything that we do. No different than the women are edited in, in certain countries, and a lot of the stuff that they do is edited to make it acceptable in different cultures in different countries all over the world. So th that was one thing in, in one country. But uh, the, the airline story is another one. That was just a fact. <laughs> I mean, that that was something else that, that was happening at that time. And every time you go through an airport, you look over and that was taking place. So we just brought it to the attention. And a lot of times that made people uncomfortable because it was real. All right, Bruce, let's tell everybody how to save some money and get a lower interest rate on your credit card debt with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. That's right. You can consolidate all your credit card debt and you don't have to be a homeowner. We're not talking about a mortgage solution. We're talking about a credit card consolidation loan. And I'll tell you, Lightstream is a company that even I believe in. Of course, I'm the mortgage guy. But a few years ago, I was looking for a great deal on a new car and I decided, you know what? I'm going to check out Lightstream. I've heard all these great things. Boom. The next day I had a check in my hand. And I was ready to go negotiate like a cash buyer for that new car. And you can do this too if you've got credit card debt. You see, they've even got consumer rewards if you've got good credit. And what are you going to get? You're going to get a great interest rate with no fees. Here's what we're talking about. You can get a credit card consolidation loan from only 5.89% APR with auto pay. And we're talking about loans from $5,000 all the way up to $100,000, and you choose the funding date as soon as today. Isn't that right, Dusty? Absolutely, baby. And the thing I like about it best is it is so easy. You just head on over there. You go on over to lightstream.com slash wrestle, baby. That's L-I-G-H-T. 
S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash wrestle and you check it out and you can go on put all your information in there and let you know exactly what your payments are going to be and that's what I love about it the very most and our listeners they get an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream already low rates and the only way to get that discount is go to Lightstream.com slash wrestle baby that's lightstream.com slash wrestle. Subject to credit approval, uh, rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for more information. Lightstream.com forward slash wrestle. On the November 29th Raw, we see a vignette that has previously aired, but it's just squishing together highlights from all the previous vignettes into one. And then we find out from the torch that according to Wade Keller, you guys had no special precautions yet for Hassan and Davari. You didn't think at this point he had enough heat where you necessarily needed to worry about any sort of backlash just yet. Was that fair to say? It's entertainment. Yeah. And, and we didn't, uh, there was, there were no red flags that were raised that made us, you know, feel that we needed to. Well, I mean, I do want to clarify. It was entertainment when Sergeant Slaughter became a bad guy too, but you put security Different time. I agree. That's why I just wanted to say, I mean, it's not, you can't just paint with a broad stroke and say it's entertainment. Um, let's talk about the debut because on the December 12th heat, our boy, Jonathan coachman announces that Davari and Hassan are going to debut the very next night on raw. And Ivory asked if Todd was going to be at raw. And he said, yes. And she asked, how are you going to get to Nashville? And he said he would be driving. And Ivory said, good, because I don't want you flying. If you get my drift. So you're doing lots of little subtleties like this to sort of plant the seeds. Is that Ivory being scripted or is she just sort of freestyling there? I have absolutely no idea because that one just sounds a little too, too El Snuggo, if you, if you ask me. And that sounds like something that, you know, somebody is, is going in, obviously it wasn't, I was on heat. So, um, I doubt that that was anything that was scripted for her and probably something that just slipped by the production team. So the next time on raw, Mick returns and says that he's got a big announcement he says he's going to be jumping to SmackDown for next week just for one show so he can visit the troops in Iraq. And then he's interrupted by Muhammad Hassan and, of course, Davari, who express that they once supported the troops, but now they see them as gutless cowards and heartless infidels. And Foley said the United States is great because they had the freedom to express themselves, but they're pissing him off with those comments. And he challenges Hassan to a fight, but Hassan backs down, saying he won't fight someone he doesn't respect. So they leave. What kind of reaction does that get? Huge heat. Again, it's you're you're attacking, you know, the very fiber of America and our and our troops that are over there risking their lives. So that's man, it's 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 heat, and it's it's easy heat. In a lot of ways, it's cheap heat, but it was, um, it was done for that reason to elicit that response. So. I mean, what do you think of, you know, the calling the troops gutless cowards too far in your opinion? In my opinion, it's too far, but at the same time, there were also, you know, there was that contingent out there and that was, 
that was a sentiment that was out there in that world. And it wasn't something that, that we were just making up and, and doing. It was something, again, that we were echoing. In so many ways, this character and, and everything that we did with it was we were ripping off from the news after the fact. Unfortunately, in, in one case, we got ahead of ourselves and uh, the, the news reflected shit that happened on our show that was just absolutely incredibly crazy and not good. But for the most part during this time, we were just reflecting what was going on in everyday life. So Wade Keller wrote about this in the torch. He says that Hassan and Davari had gotten a lot of creative control over what they're going to say in their promos. Was that fair to say, or is that no rumored innuendo? That's rumored innuendo. Vince was Vince McMahon was so hands on during this that Vince was scripting everything because he because Vince was also sensitive about everything. There were certain things where he wanted to push the line, and then there were certain things that you know he he just had control over it. He was very hands on with it. Keller would say that Hassan is pretty enthusiastic about pushing the envelope on what he says, including the line about the soldiers. Devari says on the message boards, I couldn't tell you if Muhammad's lines are what he agrees with in his heart. I don't know. That's a question you'll have to ask him. I will however, state that if an unintelligent person follows orders, they don't believe in. Well, if I'm a soldier in Iraq fighting for the freedom of America, because they feel the liberation of Iraq will help our nation. That's fine. But if I'm a soldier that's in Iraq fighting because I wanted my college paid for and couldn't afford it without their help, and I'm fighting not because I feel it's right, but because my higher up is telling me to, that shows I'm unintelligent, my opinion. What do you think of Wade Keller's reporting here on Hassan being pretty enthusiastic about what he's saying? Is he sort of reluctantly going into this, or is he just as excited about Vince as Vince McMahon is? I think that, you know, Mark was excited to be portraying a character that was getting a lot of television time and he was playing a part and I think he was excited to be playing a part. And so was Davari. So I, I, I don't really understand what the hell Wade Keller's trying to say there. On the January 3rd, 2005 raw Hassan and Davari take on Jr. and Jerry Lawler on an in-ring debate. And the first question to Hassan and Davari was something like, do you feel that Arab Americans have been unfairly persecuted in this country since nine 11? So we're off to the races. Um, they're booing. And he says something like, after all this country was founded on slavery and Arab Americans have not only been discriminated since nine 11, but before nine 11 as well, this goes way, way back. And he continues to just sort of build the heat here. If we went right up the road to Times Square, we most certainly would have been searched, harassed, threatened, or even worse. And for what reason? Because we look differently than you? Of course, everyone's booing. It is the arrogance and the intolerance of this country that is why we're the most hated nation in the world. And it is that intolerance and that arrogance is why you deserve it. So people are fired up. And obviously, King and... Uh, JR are made to be the baby faces here as much as we can, because there is some logic to the things that Hassan's saying here before he crosses the line, so to speak. Why were Lawler and JR the right guys for this? Good God. JR, he's about as American as apple pie, John Wayne, Mickey Mantle, and red, white, and blue. 
her sassafras. I think that Jr. was viewed as the voice of the audience and the voice of the people. So Jr. identifies with the majority of that audience. So for him to be standing up there, I think that they could would accept Jr. to represent me as an American. They use this promo as a way for Hassan to say, you know what, Jerry Lawler, you're right. Most Arab Americans, they're not like us. In fact, Arab Americans make me sick. You see most Arab Americans, they sit back quietly and they take this abuse and they try to hide their heritage instead of proudly displaying it. Like I do, I, for one will not embrace a racist nation. So this is an interesting twist where you're saying, I don't just hate all you. I hate Arab Americans too, which exactly. Is, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite the turn. Is that a, a, a Vince McMahon decision to sort of twist that too? Well, by all means, because now you're being a heel to everyone and people can't go back and, and just say, oh, well, you're, you're picking on Arab Americans who work hard and save their money and are honest, hardworking folk. Now you're saying, well, Hey, this guy's shitting on them too. He's shitting on everybody that's not completely seeing things through his eyeballs and with his same same relish, okay, if you will. So, yes, that was the genius of it all was he hated everybody. He was very much like me in real life. I hate everybody. Well, of course, you know what's coming. JR gives him the whole, as far as America's concerned, you love it or by God, you leave it. Of course, Muhammad knocks over his pedestal gimmick and then punches Jr. in the gut with a sucker punch and we're off to the races. They even, uh, bust open Jerry Lawler with a belt and it's a, it's a crazy heat segment, but beating up the venerable announcers is certainly a way to get even more heat. Is that, uh, also Vince McMahon's fingerprints or is there somebody else helping write some of this heat? No, that, you know, so much of this was Vince McMahon, because again, it was, you, you take it out on the messenger and Jr. and King were the messenger. So Hassan is taking it out on the messenger and they are made examples of as if they are America and they're not just beating up Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross, they're beating up America. Of course that sets up the pay-per-view match January 9th, 2005. We're in San Juan, Puerto Rico for new year's revolution. And we've got Todd Grisham interviewing Hassan and Davari backstage. And this is the first time Davari speaks English briefly uh, on WWE TV. The rest of the time he has been speaking Farsi, as you were saying, but Hassan goes on to say that Puerto Ricans should identify with his point of view because they're treated like second class citizens too. And they're treated just as poorly as him. Uh, just, uh, just like he is in the United States. So we've got him and Jerry Lawler here squaring off and Keller would give it a dud rating. It goes almost 11 minutes. Jr. is second thing. Jerry Lawler, just like Davari is for Hassan and Keller would say it was too long, too slow paced for the Puerto Rican fans, but they're chanting boring here. And he says that a retired announcer like Lawler should not have gotten this much offense against the new star Hassan. I understand that we're trying to give Hassan the win, but thinking back on it, should he have won in more convincing fashion? Maybe, you know, probably so, but at the same time, Jerry Lawler, uh, was a legend is a legend and just felt hindsight, uh, being 2020 after watching the match, like, 
yeah, probably could have revisited that and had some different decisions. But for, you know, Jerry Lawler at the time, uh, I think it was fine. And I think it was good. I think that the Puerto Rican audience was looking for something else. And, and the, the beauty of that promo and the beauty of those guys is, you know, you know Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory. That's what the message was, you know, lumping them into everything. It wasn't so much even against Puerto Ricans as it was against Puerto Rico. You have adopted the United States or you allowed the United States to adopt you, which makes you a second class citizen. And that was the message that we were trying to go for there. What did Vince think of the match? This is the first time he's had a featured match on WWE programming like this. And it's not your standard debut match to say the least. I think, you know, hindsight being 2020 probably would have rather had him have a stronger debut against someone else by putting him in against Lawler that handicaps a little bit because Jerry's limited and Jerry's only going to be able to do what Jerry can do. And I don't think that it highlighted what Hassan could do. So uh, hindsight being 2020 probably would have been better to have him debut against someone else and a stronger win. Let's talk a little bit about what's next. Hassan gets a couple of wins on house shows against Chris Jericho, but he gets a win the very next night after the pay-per-view on hurricane before the match, Hassan does mic work where he's essentially saying that the fans are just sheep who are supporting the racist media. And during the course of that week, there's lots of, uh, negativity that starts to flood the message boards and emails for Sean Devari, where people are saying some pretty foul things here at this point, it's gaining a little momentum. What's the feeling? What's the mood in the locker room amongst the boys, amongst the writers more, 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 or is anybody starting to get cold feet about some of this? Well, I mean, that's good. You know, it's funny. You you, you mentioned, oh my God, somebody said something on a message board. Well, I mean, here's what we're talking about. But here's my point. Yeah. It is, that could be a 12 year old kid. Who the hell knows who's doing that? And when someone hides behind a keyboard and they hide behind their, their computer and they, you can say anything you want. You can be anybody you want. You can be a chicken shit little bitch. You can be the bravest guy in the whole fucking world because you're not standing in front of someone. It goes back to the fan mail that you used to get. And as a heel, you know how many death threats I got as brother love. I mean, I can't even count them all. And it was because I was a heel and you you go right on down the line of the old time in the business, but they were letters or there were, it was someone, you know, saying something to you. Now people could do it online and they're unidentified, they're faceless, odorless, tasteless, but by God, they've got a keyboard and they can type whatever the hell they want. Um, they're really brave that way. So to that point, no, that's not taken very seriously. And when people react, they, they watch your product and they support your product, come out and they want to root against somebody or root for somebody then that's those that's the audience that you care about. I, I really don't care about the audience that doesn't uh, come out and support the product. You know, I know that you're saying, oh, I got all these death threats too. But there weren't there weren't evil preachers flying planes into buildings. Uh, you know, this is a different thing. And the hate that's directed here 
I mean, Ooh, I, I, I'm sorry. I beg to differ on you on that because people, you know, wars have been started over religion and people thought that I what I was doing was blasphemous. And the the crazy religious zealots were just as crazy as people flying planes into buildings. And yeah, maybe yeah. they weren't flying planes into buildings, but they were sure as hell were shooting people. That's a reach, Bruce. I don't know what you want me to say there. I mean, here's the thing too. This is so fresh. You know, you've got people, you know, I guess I should clarify when I'm saying people were saying crazy things on message boards, I'm talking about, they're talking about emptying their nine millimeter Glock into your punk ass and that you're a sand insert bad word here. I mean, really, really way over the top stuff. I guess we should mention too, um, the but you say, hang on, but you, I had those exact same kind of death threats. I'm going to empty my, uh, shotgun up your ass. You and calling me every single name in the book, telling me the date where they were going to be and what they were going to, I had people follow me all over the country and know my planes and, and different things telling me about how they were going to kill me. Again, that's being a that's being a heel, man. That's and that's the way the business was. And I'm not suggesting that that's normal activity on anybody's part. I just think for an old asshole like me that that lived that part of it, that stuff never really. Um, it's kind of hard to take it seriously. If somebody's going to kill you, they're not going to tell you they're going to kill you, and they're not going to cut a promo on you first. They're just going to go kill you. So you guys at this point didn't have any real concern that there was going to be anything to worry about just yet. No, we thought it was, you know, again, it was just normal heat wrestling heat. Uh, this is uh, one of those silly rumor and innuendos. I can't wait to talk about new Jack from ECW fame, who we've talked about recently, believe it or not was telling people in this era that he had gotten an offer from the WWE and would be a bodyguard for Hassan and Davari soon. And of course, WWE was on record to the torch denying that new Jack was ever offered a job. Do you want to stamp that out here too? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> not, I can never, ever recall ever one time new Jack being offered a job is uh Davari and Hassan's bodyguard ever. Yeah, you know, we talked about New Jack before, just in general. But I've heard New Jack now. This is a new one. I've never heard this one before. I heard about him being the guy that was going to stab John Cena, and oh and yeah, we that wasn't that. the case. But you know, no. And not to say that we didn't talk about New Jack at points, but no, never. Uh, let's talk about the January seventeenth Raw. Jericho's highlight reel opens the show, and before Jericho can continue speaking, he's interrupted by Hassan and Davari, and you know what's coming here. And Hassan says that he feels bad for Canadians because they too are treated like second-class citizens here in America, but unlike him, they deserve it, which is a fun way to have them in your hand and then get them to turn. What do you remember about this promo here with Jericho? Well, it's too easy because it's all true. <laughs> so it just was a, a simple way, you know, to make another another big illustration. And when you have somebody in the ring like Jericho who can talk and who can go, it, it was just easy to get that point across on on you cover 
all the territory in, in one fell swoop and it's easy. And it happens in Toronto. So it's an easy opportunity go. to sort of bag on Canadians. Eventually, of course, they double team him. Benoit runs in to make the save and he's making the save for the camel clutch. So it's around this time we see that Hassan is going to use the camel clutch as a finisher. Was any other finishing move ever considered? This was like the go-to. Listen, uh, growing up in the Middle East, that's pretty much first hold that they teach you. Listen. So he, he had mastered it. Listen to you. <laughs> My goodness. I go for camel clutch, baby. You lock in the camel clutch. I bend you backward and then forward and fuck you in the ass and humble you, baby. It comes out Fuck in the me. January 29th torch that the guys are being criticized pretty heavily. And the, the headline of a United Arab Emirates newspaper on January 19th read evil Arab wrestlers condemned in UAE. And, uh, of course the sub headline is television wrestling show draws fire after introducing Arab bad guys. So there's an article written up about how this is going over like a turd in a punch bowl over overseas, which is pretty much what you guys were hoping for, right? Well, yeah, I think that, you know, the same thing could be said about, um, pretty much any foreigner in their foreign land when they're portrayed as a heel because of where they come from, uh, in their country, they're heroes. You know, Jinder Mahal is, is a damn hero in India, but over here, because he's from India, he's considered a heel. The WWE has to sort of defend this because a lot of people are criticizing WWE for exploiting a negative stereotype of, uh, Arab people. And WWE says that this character is being handled with a touch more depth and complexity than most Arab American characters. And the Hassan character is more compelling because he expresses real life problems rather than portraying a quote-unquote, bloodthirsty terrorist or savage. And Hassan is articulate, handsome, and a well-groomed Arab-American who professes that he wants to live his life in peace, go to his job, provide for his family. But since 9-11, he's looked at suspiciously. And WWE maintains that the portrayal of Hassan is a small step in the right direction. And I agree with those comments 100%. Again, they weren't, you know, they weren't, he wasn't coming down like the Sheik used to with a knife in his mouth and uh, chopping people up and what have you. It was, it was a departure and we were trying to, as I said earlier, man, this was straight out of the headlines every night. It wrote itself so easily because it was happening in everyday life. At the Royal Rumble, he comes in at number 13. He doesn't eliminate anyone, but everybody can't wait to help eliminate him. Booker T, Benoit, Jericho, Edge, Luther Reigns, and Shelton Benjamin. And he's out of there. And the next night he comes out and he's booed, of course, and says he doesn't deserve this reaction, but it took eight men to get him out. And, um, he expected this from the raw guys, but not the SmackDown guys. And he says that last night was a metaphor for how America has literally ganged up on him and his fellow Arab Americans. And he's issuing a challenge to anyone who took part in last night. It could be any American Sergeant slaughter comes out with the American flag and the crowd goes insane. Devari starts yelling at him. And of course, slaughter drops him. You know what happens though? Hassan winds up beating slaughter with the camel clutch. You guys dusted off Sarge here, but if you're going to do it, this is the spot to do it, right? 
Fucking A, man. Sergeant Slaughter, the American flag and the Cobra clutch and the whole nine yards, man. It's the Cobra clutch versus the camel clutch. What the hell else do you, would you possibly want? It was Americana at its finest. And it was, again, too easy. It even winds up uh, being featured in an article in Newsweek that's covered in the February 5th edition of The Torch, where they're talking about the television show 24 with Kiefer Sullivan. And they're also saying that, you know, he's got this sleeper terrorist cell storyline going and Hassan has got his role in WWE and neither one of these are what America needs right now. Uh, meanwhile, Hassan is working with Jericho and Rhino on house shows. And around this time he pops up in a WWE.com interview where iron Sheik says wrestling is my heart. It's in my blood. So of course I still watch WWE. I wish Mr. McMahon would bring me back one more time and let me be a part of Hassan's team. I'm Middle Eastern like him and an all-time legend, and I think I can help Muhammad. I could be his manager or advisor. I respect all of my intelligent wrestling fans because from day one they hated me, but they still respected me uh, because I was a shooter. I was wrestling Hogan and Slaughter. We sold out everywhere. They had to hate me because I was Iranian and carried the Ayatollah flag, but I still respect them. Now, obviously, I don't know why you guys ran this here, but was he ever even considered in this era? I mean, it feels like he's probably not nearly mobile enough to pull this off, but whether considerations of vignettes or anything else, I mean, you've sort of given a nod to slaughter here. What about the iron Sheik? Yeah, no, no, there, there weren't, you know, we had had Sheik at, at WrestleMania in, I guess, 2001, and he could barely make it to the ring. So There wasn't a whole lot of thought at all, you know, given to iron Sheik, but it was, it was timely. And, you know, going back to the discussion about the television show 24 is another example of entertainment. Television was doing the exact same thing that we were doing. Uh, the February 14th raw, we saw Hassan beat Jericho by a pinfall. And the next week he comes out and says, nobody can beat him. So Chris Benoit comes out and challenges him. But of course, Hassan don't want none. Uh, but instead attacks Benoit and the next week we open the show with this Hassan Benoit match. They have a really good match, but it winds up with a DQ when Hassan low blows Benoit and Benoit would continue to be paired with Hassan through the middle of March. Chat me up here. What was Benoit's take on the performer? Of course, at the time Benoit for better or worse was sort of the measuring stick on in-ring performers. A lot of people still thought he was the best wrestler in the world at that time. And he's in there with a young guy from OVW. What's his feedback at the time? Chris pushed him like hell. And, and Chris, you know, was one of those guys you get in the ring, you better be able to hang. And Mark was able to hang with him and, and he was nervous as shit, uh, being in the ring with Benoit, but man, Chris pushed him and they had some pretty damn decent matches. So I thought it was good education for, Hassan to be in there with somebody like Benoit every night. And he was learning from him and man, they pushed the envelope and, and he pushed him every night. And I think it made Mark better by being in the ring with him on the March 7th raw. We see Hassan complain to Eric Bischoff. Who's the general manager that he's not on WrestleMania 21. And he says he wants in the ladder match at WrestleMania and claims he's not included in the card because of discrimination. Bischoff sort of blows him off, but Hassan says this isn't over with. So the next week on raw, they come out on the ramp and they're bombarded with USA chance. And he says he's yet to be pinned in a raw ring. 
and he's yet he's still excluded from WrestleMania. He blames the WWE and the racist nation and each and every one of these fans. And when he starts to have Davari speak, Simon Dean's music hits almost immediately and the officials correct it and then play Hassan's music. What do you remember about this? Uh, this is rare where we play the wrong music, but you've got this heat spot and instead of playing the theme, everyone's ready for it's fucking Simon Dean. God, I, I, I don't even remember it. It's uh, <laughs> obscure. Uh, don't even remember it at all because the idea during this time was all about Hassan and being discriminated on and not being at WrestleMania to get to the whole WrestleMania spot with Hassan and Hulk and everything. Okay, Bruce, we got to take a time out right now to tell everybody about our friends over at ageless male max. And I'm excited to have them on the show this week because we've got a question for you guys. When did it become okay for us to become lazier, softer, and fatter? It's time to bring the men of this country back to greatness. And now it's easier than ever with ageless male max. You see, these guys have a patent pending formula with an ingredient that helps you boost your total testosterone, which is going to promote greater increases in muscle size. And it'll even help you reduce your total body fat by more than twice as fast as just exercise alone. And check this out. It also boosts your nitric oxide, which is going to be handy in the gym or the bedroom. Why don't you take your manhood to the max? Try your first 30 day bottle for free. Just pay the shipping and handling. Now that's not 10 days. That's not 15 days. It's a full 30 day supply and it's free. Can't believe I'm saying this, Bruce. It's free. All you've got to do is text the word slam. That's S L A M slam to seven, nine, seven, nine, seven, nine. Finally, you've got a formula here that boosts your total testosterone and dude, your first order is free. If your results with ageless male max are too intense, please decrease the use, but get that first bottle right now for free. Just text the word slam to seven, nine, seven, nine, seven, nine. That's S L A M to 79, 79, 79 message and data rates apply. On the March 21st raw, Shawn Michaels is shown in the back in a suit, getting ready to leave the arena. Muhammad Hassan comes and walks by and says he deserves to beat WrestleMania. They're a lot alike. They've both faced adversity, but Sean knows nothing of what Hassan faces day in, day out. And Sean says what he doesn't like is that Hassan claims he deserves everything, but he's earned nothing. But next week in his home state, they'll go one-on-one and he'll see why they call him Mr. WrestleMania. So why was Hassan put with Sean in the go home raw for WrestleMania? Get people talking and get ratings. Well, there you go. March. I mean, that, that's, uh, that is it in a nutshell. And to be able to, you know, you're, you're in Texas, man, put him out there and get that exposure, baby. So let's talk about it. Uh, we've got a match the next week, March 28th, Hassan comes down for his match against Michaels, but he gets on a mic and he says, I don't know what you people are screaming about. We're six days away and I have six more days to face the prejudice and the bigotry of WrestleMania 21. I've not been pinned on raw and still I'm excluded from the biggest show of the year. And he's going to be taking on Sean, of course, who comes out and they have a strong match it goes around 12 minutes or so. Um, Michaels is setting him up for the sweep chin music. When Kurt angle comes in 
and attacks Sean to cause the DQ, which just furthers WrestleMania 21. I mean, there was no chance that Hassan was going over here. It was just a way to tease the big match and set up WrestleMania a little further, right? Expose both guys, tells two great stories at one time with a great match. And I think that it boosted Hassan's stock being in the ring with Shawn Michaels. Let's get to WrestleMania 21. He doesn't have a match on the card, which is kind of surprising, I guess, considering how long this character has been built up. Uh, here's what Keller wrote of what happened. Eugene walked out to the ring to zero reaction. He jumped up and down and said, I can't believe I'm at WrestleMania. He said it was his second favorite WrestleMania moment ever. His favorite was with King Kong Bundy body slammed a little person. He said the good and bad little people formed an army and attacked Bundy and Muhammad Hassan and Davari then walk out in the all white garb. And they rant about not being a part of WrestleMania and they're going to make their own WrestleMania moment. And they attack Eugene and put him in the camel clutch. So of course, Hulk Hogan makes the save and all red and yellow. He beats up a saw and plays to the crowd and Jr. screaming. This is a WrestleMania moment. He tosses a saw over the top rope. Davari hits Hogan in the back with a chair. Hogan no sells it and then beats up Davari, throws him over the top rope and is doing the posing again. Um, what'd you think of this WrestleMania moment? Does it get any bigger than being in the ring at WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan? No. Well, there you go. So the, the promo, the promo all the way up is I'm not at WrestleMania. I'm not at WrestleMania. I'm not at WrestleMania. I'm not at WrestleMania, which means I'm going to be at WrestleMania. And then to get the spotlight of all spotlights, get your ass kicked by Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. Please. Great shit. Of course, Mark talked about this and he says, how do you answer that? This is what got me in wrestling. I remember Hulk slamming Andre, the giant at the silver dome. It was the highlight of my career. I've worked with tremendous talents, Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, Kane, the undertaker, but this is Hulk Hogan, not to take anything away from those guys, but it's Hulk Hogan. The moment in MSG when Hulk Hogan saved Shawn Michaels, I learned the meaning of the term blew the roof off the building. The center of that ring, it felt like we were lifting off the ground. He was laid back, cool, great to work with. I've heard bad stories about him, but I have not one negative thing to say about him. What did Vince think of this segment? Obviously, even though it does feel like, you know, it's not standard fare for WrestleMania, this gets both guys over in a big way. Oh my God, please. To see Hulk back in a WWE ring and to have him do what he does best you know, the audience was expecting to see Hulk Hogan come out and take a bow for the Hall of Fame, but to actually get to see Hulk come out and kick a little ass was icing on the cake, blows the roof off the place, everybody's happy, and, you know, that's a WrestleMania moment. That's a big WrestleMania moment that everybody remembers, and it worked for everybody involved. So you know what's coming here on April 4th, Michaels is doing a promo. Hassan interrupts. They wind up fighting Hassan locks on the camel clutch. And that sets up a promo for the following week where Hassan is telling coach Sean Michaels just felt the taste of his fury, but tonight the joke is on Michaels and he's going to have the last laugh. So later in the show, Sean makes his way out to the ring, but Hassan says he's gotten Eric Bischoff to make a change. And now instead of facing Hassan. Sean has to face Davari. So we see Sean versus Davari. What, what's the thinking here? Let's drag this out and build up a pay-per-view, right? Hell yeah. Get the manager in the ring. And, you know, Davari's a hell of a talent. He's a, he's a hell of a good worker. 
But yet it, in this role, he had been that mouthpiece. And we always knew that we were going to get to Davari in the ring uh, at some point. And maybe when it ran its course, you'd be a tag team or what have you. But uh, make no mistake about it. Sean Davari is a hell of a talent. And he gets a win here over Shawn Michaels. So as crazy as this sounds, as much as they've been pushing Muhammad Hassan, the biggest win to date here is on raw. Of course, Hassan kicked Shawn Michaels low and that allowed Davari to get the pin, but still big win for Davari here. Um, apparently it's reported in the torch on the April 16th edition that during the most recent overseas tour. Hassan lost some locker room points by unintentionally disrespecting Sergeant Slaughter during a conversation. Sarge was a road agent and gave Hassan some ideas for his match and Hassan openly disagreed with his advice. He didn't mean to be disrespectful, but it came across that way. And it came across as if he was talking down to Sarge as if he were just another guy. So this is the famous story where we hear that Chris Benoit and some other raw wrestlers sort of take him to wrestler court. And his penance is he's got to pay the tab for the crew to go drinking that night to the tune of several hundred dollars. What'd you hear about this story? Uh, basically, I heard that story, and that's you know locker room hazing, and you screw up. Hey, guess what? You're picking up the tab tonight, and that's a learning experience. Is all it is. Allegedly, there's more to this story of this locker room heat. Here's what Mark had to say about it. The story is that Eddie Guerrero used the camel clutch, which was my finisher. Kurt Angle got in my ear and said, Eddie shouldn't be using your finisher. It's disrespectful to the business, not to Eddie, nothing to do with Eddie, but it was like, you shouldn't let someone use your finisher. You're a top guy. You have to say something. This is Kurt Angle. So I do what he says. And lo and behold, it was Eddie's father who invented the camel clutch. So I feel like a gigantic asshole. And I get some heat for it while we're in Tokyo. As far as making peace and it not working, I think I picked up something like a $2,000 bar tab. And that was kind of the last I heard of it. I'm not discrediting anybody's story. He may remember it differently than I, but that was the heat I got. Ultimately, everyone knew it was Kurt who put me up to it. It doesn't mean I shouldn't have the common sense not to listen. But I remember Big Show even made a comment like, you're getting him in trouble again. Everyone knew the comment didn't come from me. I paid for it and tried to take it in stride, but this is the first I'm hearing of this story. So if there's a different take, I don't really know how to respond to that. I would have never dreamed in a million years to tell Eddie Guerrero not to do anything because Eddie was a God, but I felt like I had to, I'm almost positive that Kurt even said something to the effect of, well, if you don't, everyone's going to think you're a pussy, but it was almost like a wink, wink. Everyone's going to think you're a pussy. I went to wrestlers court and undertaker and Shane McMahon were there. It was a pretty big deal. I was nervous. Looking back, most people know it wasn't something I did on my own. It was something I was put up to. I got to tell you, Bruce, the idea of you taking someone to task for using a move that your grandfather invented. It's pretty His hilarious. father invented. Yeah, either way. Hilarious. Yeah, well, again, that's just part of the business and that that's part of, you know, guys ribbing you in the business and that's all it was. That, that was Kurt stirring the shit <laughs> and, you know, knowing it was going to get a rise out of Eddie and I'll bet, I would bet you a million bucks that Kurt didn't even know that it was Eddie's dad. Who was the first one to use that move. Sure. Yeah. Why would he? 
So, you know, it, it just that that just was a rib and it was something that, you know, everybody had fun with and you take it from there. Let me ask you this. This is a fun one for me. The rumor and innuendo is that a lot of guys who don't normally go drinking decided we have to, whether they wanted to, or they were told they had to, a lot of guys go drinking on this trip and allegedly some of the guys order drinks and just pour them out just to run the bill up because it's punishment. Do you ever hear that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This will teach you a lesson. Really? You're disrespecting Eddie Guerrero. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll have another one of those. Oh, it's spilled. Well, that plant looked thirsty. That plant is really thirsty. How amazing is this business? This is so fascinating to me that we get to dig in like this. On the April 13th or April 18th, raw rather, at Madison Square Garden, Hassan and Davari are with Todd Grisham. And they use this promo as a way to not only sort of shit on Shawn Michaels, but also involve Hulk Hogan. What was the plan here? Did you guys already have eyes on this Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan situation, and you were just going to use Hassan as a vehicle to get there? Yeah, it just was, you know, again, you're on the road, man. You're just going, making different stops along the road and intertwining wherever the hell you can. It was a nice little story. It made a lot of sense. And that's why we did it. Of course, in the match that night, we see the guys double team Sean again, and they're not allowing him to hit the super kick because Davari's grabbing the leg. Eventually Hassan gets the advantage. Of course, there's a DQ, but they wrap the headdress around Shawn Michaels neck and then hang him over the top rope. You know, what's coming real American hits to a massive pop and Hulk Hogan makes the save. Uh, it's quite a moment for TV here. I mean, I was a, I was not even all that into wrestling here. I'm still watching, but I'm fairly casual at this point, but Hulk Hogan coming out on raw to make the save in red and yellow. That's classic nostalgia shit right there. Is it not a uh, fucking a, but not just, you know, not just seeing Hulk Hogan again, it's Hulk Hogan with the red and yellow defending the by God, red, white, and blue of America. It's American made when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside by God. That's Hulk Hogan. That's America. And that's the beauty of it all. He is conquering over evil. The following week, we're doing raw in the UK. Uh, William Regal and Tajiri are out dancing with some ladies in the ring and Muhammad Hassan comes out and says, it's pathetic. You've got two grown men dancing with eight international diva bimbos and the crowd's eating it up. So he's talking about how England has their fair share of prejudice as well. It's amazing. This is just working everywhere. You know what this sets up Hassan and Davari get a win, uh, over to Jerry here. Um, we should talk about backlash because that's where we're headed next. May 1st, 2005, we've got Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels taking on Muhammad Hassan and Davari. They go 15 minutes and 20 seconds. Hogan starts out and then he tags in Michaels who sells for a bunch. You know, what's coming. Hogan gets the hot tag, finishes off Davari with a big boot and a Michaels super kick two and a half stars. What'd you think? Obviously this is not going to be a five-star classic. That's not what you're looking for here, but you have the manager take the loss, keeps your top heel strong, pretty classic stuff here. what do you think of backlash? Oh, five. Well, first of all, it's, it's your nostalgia fix with the Hulkster being back in the ring. In addition to that, it's the two heroes of Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan from two separate eras 
combining as one and teaming, and that was a huge deal. And the fact that they are taking on and defeating these nasty-ass foreigners, uh, you know, the quintessential heels in Hassan and Davari. So to me, it covered all points, and I thought it was damn entertaining and damn good. And had you held the damn thing in the uh, London Royal Albert Hall, it would have got 19 and a half stars. Because inflation, you know, or pounds. So the next night on Raw, of course, we see Muhammad Hassan come out and cut a promo talking about how he's been persecuted against. He's left out of the Gold Rush tournament. But then he turns on Davari and holds him accountable for causing him the match last night. He says, I could have been a legend. I could have beat Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels. I had him on their knees and you blew it. And he, he slaps and attacks Davari. Uh, the next week, we know what's coming. Hassan and Davari come to the ring, and we see a replay of what's happened. Davari gets on the mic and says he did let Hassan down, and he gets down on his knees and says he's not worthy of his friendship, but he knows what he's going to do to win him back. He's challenging any superstar for a match, and Chris Jericho comes out. I'll let you take it from here. Well, you know, Jericho comes out, Jericho has the match. And Jericho ends up winning the match by making him tap out to the walls of Jericho. And, and here's where Hassan goes and gets his heat on Jericho, bringing uh, Shelton Benjamin out. They chase off the heels, and it gets to set up the tag for the next week with Dabari and Hassan against Jericho and uh, Shelton Benjamin. So it's just, again, it, it's that up and down. And, you, and now I think there's a segment of the people that want you know, Davari to see the light. God, can't you see the light? This guy is picking on you. And it's the stereotypical, you know, manager in the reverse, where a lot of times as a heel, the manager is the heel and you want the, uh, the talent to be the baby face and see the manager screwing him in this. We were trying to do the opposite a little bit to have sympathy for Davari. We know what's coming, uh, in that tag match, Hassan gets the win over Jericho. And then we're working a lot of house shows with, uh, Muhammad Hassan and Benoit, and he's even challenging Shelton Benjamin for the IC title. Of course, he never wins it on the house shows and they do a May 23rd show on raw where Hassan and Davari beat Shelton Benjamin in a handicap match. The next major thing we see happen though, is a setup with Batista. Uh, we've got Bischoff and Batista talking and Hassan and Davari interrupt them on the May 30th raw and Hassan's complaining about not getting a world title shot. And Batista says later tonight, he'll beat them both up. So of course, eventually Batista is beating him in the corner, refuses to break. So the ref DQs him. And after the match, Batista hits him in the head with a chair. Hassan gets color and the show goes off the air with Batista standing over him. What's the plan here? Well, it was a way, again, it was a way to just spotlight Batista here and keep Davari good because he didn't beat Davari. It was a DQ. But then at the same time, you know, it's the foreign menace can say, hey, he didn't beat me. But the big baby face can say, yeah, but I kicked his ass. The next week, there's no follow-up on this Batista angle, except to say that Hassan and Davari have challenged Shelton Benjamin for the Intercontinental title in a handicap match. And JR is persisting that Hassan is threatened to sue if he's not treated properly. And the match is initially awarded to Hassan, but then referee Jack Doan reverses a three count for Hassan, 
when he sees that Benjamin's foot was on the rope during the three count. And this of course, just adds fuel to the fire of the claim of some sort of prejudice or discrimination. Bischoff then names Steve Austin as Hassan's arbitrator the next week on raw. And as he extends his hand the very next week on raw, I can't believe this is a real thing on the June 13th raw Austin opens the show massive pop. You know, what's coming Hassan and Devari are down. And when Hassan puts his hand out to Austin, Austin says, I see sand people. Clearly that line was fed to him, but Bruce, what the fuck? Yeah. I got nothing to say on that one. Hassan asks if he's too good to shake his hand. And Austin says, no, I'm not too good. I just don't like you. And they have, I mean, you got to appreciate this is the guy's first year in the business. So far, he's got a win over Jericho. He's worked in a top spot with Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels. And he's had a match on raw with Batista for the world title. Now he's in here with Steve Austin. What can you tell us about this? I think it's a pretty damn good year. Bruce, take your pills. Thank you. No, it's a great Uh, year, but I mean, this, this specific interaction here with stone cold, Steve Austin. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, it's just, it, again, it just continues because it's, it's a guy, it is the quintessential heel and it is a quintessential heel character that it gives everybody that rubs up against them. They, no matter what, man, that baby face feel. And now you take arguably the biggest baby face in the history of the business and stone cold, Steve Austin, and it's just, it's another great spot and it's just another great opportunity to solidify Hassan is this strong heel, putting him in here. All right, Bruce, let's take a break here from talking about Muhammad Hassan to tell you about our friends over at blue apron. And I feel like we should mention that, uh, blue apron is fresh non GMO ingredients with chef designed seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. And they let you see the power of what food can do, but don't take my word for it. Let's ask the macho man all about it. Oh yeah. I like to freak out because every Friday it comes direct to my front door. I get to choose from two, three, or even four weekly recipes. And every one of them just kind of freaks me out because it's got the recipes. They're so easy. Even the macho man can do it. Uh huh. And one of my favorites is a honey chipotle glazed chicken. It's got some poblano and some lime rice. Uh huh. Oh yeah. But it's got all the little ingredients. It has exactly, exactly the right amount of everything. And you get a cook on the stove. And if you got a significant other, it's fun to do it together. So freak out, freak out, and check out Blue Apron today. Oh, yeah. Make it happen, man. Blueapron.com slash wrestling. That's blueapron.com slash wrestling. Get those first three meals for free. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Did you hear what he said? It's free. Your first three meals at blueapron.com slash wrestling. Oh, yeah. It's kind of, um, I don't know. We'll say interesting that he's talking about his towel and his gimmick beard, but he does eventually agree to let Shelton Benjamin have another intercontinental title match with Muhammad Hassan. Uh, the match goes down, of course, and the finish sees Hassan hit Benjamin with a low blow and then put on the camel clutch. 
Austin says he doesn't like the low blow and he kicks a sign in the head and stunners him. So he DQs Benjamin and awards the match to a sign. What did Austin think of the character? I mean, this is a guy who was as hot as anybody ever was. I know we're going to say different times and whatever. What did Austin think of the character? I think that Steve appreciated the character and appreciated, you know, just the heat and saw it for exactly what it was, that this was, you know, a strong, stereotypical heel type character. And I think just, you know, Steve got it and saw it as a, is a hell of a way to, to make your mark in the business. The next week, the champ, John Cena comes down to the ring is doing a promo on Jericho, but Hassan interrupts this incredible push continues. He says that last week he was screwed by Steve Austin and Cena cuts him off and tells him to give it up. It's old. Nobody cares if you're white, black, yellow, red, it doesn't matter. People don't hate you because you're Arab American. They hate you because you're asshole American. Uh, that's a great line, by the way. Um, Eric Bischoff comes to the ramp and says, Cena has never had a real general manager, just Teddy long, a glorified babysitter. So now he's got a title match against Muhammad Hassan. Of course, later in the show, Cena pins Hassan in two minutes and 19 seconds to retain. So it is cool that he's getting these opportunities to do the big interactions, but losing your world title match in two minutes and 19 seconds. Eh. What to be in the main event of raw and to get beat by the top guy in the company. It's not a bad spot. I'll take it on the June 23rd SmackDown. JBL tells Teddy long to name him the SmackDown champion. And long says after the draft next week, JBL will be the SmackDown champion. If he wins this five man challenge with JBL versus Booker T versus Benoit versus big show versus the undertaker. And as the crowd's reacting, Muhammad Hassan and Davari stroll down to the ring and the announcers are figuring out that he has to be the new draft pick from raw. And you know, what's coming here. He's starts to address every wrestler in the ring, including calling JBL a quitter, but man, he's jumping shows here and right away he's mixed in with the top guys. He's going to have his debut match here against big show. Why was the decision made to move Hassan to SmackDown? And what can you tell us about, I mean, again, Hassan gets a win over big show in his debut. So it's a hell of a debut. Well, you know, you say that Hassan is being in the mix with all the top guys by this point, Hassan is one of the top guys. So, you know, he's had a hell of a good year. He's gone through all there was to go through in raw and you can now add, move him over to SmackDown and get that heat over there. It was new territory and new people to work with. So it was, let's start all over with a new crop of guys. Well, and he was, I mean, a few days earlier, he's in the main event with John Cena for the world title. Now he's getting a win over big show in his debut match. So he's off one show and on to the another. And, and, and here we go. Uh, June 30th, SmackDown, the start of the show, the music hits and Hassan and Davari are coming out and we hear nothing but USA chants. And you should remember, you know, it's June 30th. So July 4th is right around the corner. And that's what he's talking about that these Arab Americans have a different idea of what independence day should be. And this is a pretty famous angle here because this is where we see him have an interaction with the undertaker. The lights go down and the music of the undertaker hits. And then the undertaker stops at the steel steps, makes the lights come on. 
and stands toe to toe with Hassan as Davari bolts to the apron. And this is another opportunity for him to work with a top guy. What's going on? What's what are the plans here? It feels like he's bouncing around, sort of making the run with everybody, but not really having a sustained feud with anybody. Well, again, for SmackDown, it was all brand new. So it's his debut and it's an idea to try and we were actually trying to kind of start him off here with the undertaker, see what that looked like, rub them up against each other. And Vince would often do this. Vince liked to throw people out there to see what the reaction of a live house is going to be. See if there's an ooh and an ah, see what the kind of, what that reaction is. And we want to see if there was an ooh curiosity, if there's just a desire to see Hassan get his ass kicked. Is there, is there something else that, that we can do with this? And this was pretty much that test pattern here for that to see, okay, let's get him out there. Let's see what happens here. It's pretty unbelievable. You know, from the, the debut with, you know, him taking Mick Foley to task now, you know, when he switches shows, it's big show one week undertaker the next week, he's in a match later that night to determine the number one contender for the world title. Against JBL, Booker T, Chris Benoit, Christian, and The Undertaker. Of course, Hassan is eliminated by countout when The Undertaker takes him to the back. Then we've got two super shows coming up next. So, of course, we're going to have him in featured spots, right? Michaels and Benoit take on Muhammad Hassan and Davari. And on the next super show, Tajiri beats Hassan. So there's that. There you go. Uh, on the July 7th SmackDown at the start of the show, there is a message on the bottom of the screen saying something about the London attacks and that discretion is advised for this show. Later in the show, we see a son in the back yelling at the general manager, Teddy long. And he says he was never pinned and never submitted last week. So he should be the number one contender. And Long says he's going to face the Undertaker at the Great American Bash for the number one contendership. And Davari complains, and Long says he doesn't speak the language. And he books Davari in a match against the Undertaker. So later in the show, Asan and Davari are shown in the back, and Asan says Davari will make a sacrifice, but it will be for the greater good in their plan. That takes us to the Undertaker Davari match. Taker quickly pins Davari with a tombstone. And then stares down Hassan, but Hassan is motionless. He gets to his knees and raises his hands in the air and yells something. And then all of a sudden, five masked men wearing camouflage pants come to the ring. One cracks the Undertaker uh, with a stick in the back, and then they all stomp him. And then they pull out wires and choke Taker. Hassan comes in the ring and places Taker in the camel clutch, and Taker's eyes are really selling the story here as Hassan is tugging away. He raises his arms and the men are on their knees, seemingly praying to him. And then the men lift Davari and they hold him up over their heads and carry him out of the ring above their heads and then to the back. All right. This is what we're all here for. Lots of criticism to go around here. I guess we should talk about the controversy. Let me just tell you what Wade Keller says. WWE taped an angle on Monday, July 4th to air on Thursday, July 7th edition of SmackDown that utilized strong terrorist symbolism. It turned out that the morning before the episode aired on UPN, terrorists bombed London subways and buses, killing dozens and injuring hundreds. Rather than edit the program, 
a logistical headache to be sure, but possible. Nonetheless, UPN and WWE decided to air it without changes. They simply ran a crawler at the bottom of the screen five times during the show, advising parental discretion. The controversial angle at first fell under mainstream media radar as real life concerns, such as protecting the transportation hubs in the U S was on everyone's mind on Friday. By Tuesday of this week, though, word had spread of what aired even variety drudge report linked the variety story. The New York post even wrote about it. It was discussed on Tucker Carlson's show on MSNBC. None of the coverage was favorable towards WWE. Of course, the angle, which included Muhammad Hassan talking to Davari about sacrificing himself for the greater good before the match with the undertaker and then being carried off martyr style by men in black masks was described by a WWE executive producer, Kevin Dunn as something that quote should be taken tongue in cheek. We all feel very bad about the timing of the segment said WWE spokesman, Gary Davis, adding that the show wasn't attempting to depict a terrorist attack. Although he understood how some viewers might construe it as such quote, people will see what happens this week as the storyline gets straightened out End quote. WWE couldn't have felt too bad though, as they prominently featured the angle on its website Thursday evening and Friday morning before removing it and then replayed clips of it on velocity on Saturday night on spike TV. The show was edited when it aired in the UK hours after it aired in the U S so pretty controversial. This is the beginning of the end for Muhammad Hassan. What can you tell us about this? Well, first of all, it was shot on a Tuesday before the bombings in London. And obviously we had no way of knowing that there was going to be a terrorist attack in London. So when it happened the day before and everything got out, we, we discussed what we could do and what we couldn't do. UPN in conjunction with them and everybody else. And look, everyone was involved in the decision. The decision was made to air it as, as it was that they couldn't edit it in time. We could have completely cut it and put in a different match. There's really no way to edit it, but the folks at UPN and, and us included felt that by putting a disclaimer at the top, letting people know that it was pre-taped before the London attacks and that there was a sensitivity to that and kind of apologizing up front and knowing that we would correct it the next week and basically have to just scrap everything that we had, um, the decision was made to air it. And it's, again, I keep going back to its entertainment and in the same, in the same vein that different television shows have, have done the exact same thing. And I even believe 24 had to do it, but there were other television shows where situations have happened and man, unfortunately something happens in the world that mirrors, you know, what's, what's going on in television. And you think, man, this is too sensitive. This is, this is too much, but yet they put up a disclaimer. Hey folks, in no way, shape or form. We thought that was enough. And we, we knew that we were going to change it and, and make it whole at the time. But that was a joint decision made by us and the folks at UPN. We felt that that was the right decision at the time. We couldn't edit it in in a way other than to completely take it out, uh, which is what they did in the UK. Uh, they just completely took it out. So, um, 
everybody's a Monday morning quarterback and, and you can look at it and go, should have done this. You should have done that. That's what we did. That's the decision that we were comfortable with at the time. It is entertainment, obviously done before the terrorist attacks. Never in a million years would we have done it after the terrorist attacks, obviously. But uh, you have to be sensitive to that. Maybe it wasn't the best decision in the world. What's Vince McMahon's response to the criticism, you know, when he sees the media coming after it, you know, does he feel like, man, I wish I had that one to do over again, or you can second guess yourself to death, but when, you know, again, when you get everybody together, including the executives from the network that, that feel this is suffice, you make a judgment call and you can't go back and second guess and you have to eat it. And, and move on and try and be better the next time. Keller reported UPN felt the pressure from fan and media response to last week's show and requested that WWE not include a sign on this week's SmackDown at the SmackDown tapings in Worcester. Uh, Hassan's attorney, Thomas Whitman came to the ring and announced that Hassan is taking a leave of absence from WWE and would not appear on SmackDown until he defeats the undertaker at the pay-per-view. He said the undertaker Assad match has already been signed for the great American bash. Of course, you know, it comes here. Undertaker comes down tombstones and choke slams the lawyer. There's a form letter that UPN is sending out to everybody. And here's how it reads. Thank you for writing the UPN. And we appreciate your taking the time to share your thoughts and concerns about WWE SmackDown due to the tragic events in London last Thursday, we took the added measure of running an advisory four times throughout the broadcast. So the viewers could make the appropriate viewing decision for their household. We will continue to monitor the situation involving this character and storyline. Please be advised that we have noted your comments and wish you wish to assure you that they have been shared with the senior broadcast executives at UPN. What was the feedback you got from UPN beyond? Can you take that motherfucker off TV? Well, obviously they reacted strongly because the public reacted strongly and the public, anytime that a television network gets any kind of negative response, it's no different than, you know, Roseanne Barr and and her comments that she made just this past year And the network receives negative comments and they have to respond some way and they have to do what they feel is right. That the fact that they changed their response and and that they want to put all the heat on us is, is fine. I mean, that's, that's what they're going to do, but they, they were a part of the decision as much as we were. And I understand it. I mean, you've got, you're serving the public, man. You're, you're out there for the world to like you or dislike you. And and you got to take the heat one way or the other. I feel like we should mention here that the July 14th SmackDown, which was the following week, Hassan had a promo that was delivered to the live crowd, but when UPN said it had to be edited off, they host it on .com instead. So you could still watch the promo. You just had to go to the website. And despite being in character, he's referring to the real world media coverage of the storyline and even singles out a reporter for the New York post by name, Don Kaplan. And he's taking him to task for the way he described the events, including describing the men in masks as the Arabs in ski masks, or at least that's the way Kaplan wrote it. It feels like this is classic Vince McMahon. You know, they're trying to fuck with us. Let's fuck with them back. Sure. And it, and it wasn't, you know, a lot of it wasn't fair. And some of these, 
some of these media types that are just as bad. It's who said they were Arabs in ski masks. That was an assumption that he jumped to that he made based on his own prejudice and his racist views, you know, coming back and being put into that story. So yeah, we're going to jump on that because it's it's just not fair. Um, And you move on, you get attacked and you attack back. The advertising age, which is a trade publication comes out and does a whole story here on Muhammad Hassan, the character. And they even say that Mark is actually Italian American. And they're sort of talking about the fact that this is going to have a backlash sponsor wise, you know, I mean, what's the, what's the feedback you're getting there? I mean, everybody's covering it. It's on the main page of tvguide.com, the Chicago tribune, the New York post. I mean, everybody's talking about it. Is there any sort of concern that, oh shit, we went too far and this is fucking with our money now. Well, I think if there would, if there would have been, first of all, there was backlash from the network. So, you know, that's kind of fucking with you when you have to think about, oh my God, are we going to have distribution for our product? So yeah, that's definitely a concern. And then you have to wonder when the media gets a hold of it, what are advertisers going to think and what are they going to say? They're not a lot of times going to wait for your explanation in here. So you unfortunately have to react with a knee jerk reaction and you have to do what is best for everybody and, and the company as a whole. And so all of that is taken into consideration and you have to, you know, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. Move we, on. Well, they did move on great American bash July 24th, 2005 in Buffalo. And Keller would write in the torch that quote, in what might be the final appearance of the Arab American character, Hassan, of course, prior to the match, we see, uh, the video package that sort of recaps how we got here. And you guys start referring to the guys in ski masks as sympathizers. And here we're essentially trying to write the character off or so it feels because we're choke slamming him on the ramp on the unforgiving steel. And we're moving to rectangular pieces of the stage and give Hassan a last ride power bomb through the stage down to the concrete floor below. And they show a top level replay where there's this pool of blood next to Hassan's fallen body. And they're going to strap him to a stretcher, wheel him out into an ambulance. I mean, chat me up here. We have rid the WWE of these evil sympathizers and the character known as Muhammad Hassan is gone. I mean, you knew right here. That's it. Too much blowback. Let's just scrap it. Let's just have, so let's deliver to the fans what we said we were going to do, but let's just kill him and punt. There you go. Sometimes you just got to move on. Melsa wrote a barrage of mainstream media criticism led to UPN demanding WWE keep Muhammad Hassan character off their network. WWE subsequently appears to have killed off the character entirely. Hassan just three weeks ago had been penciled in as Batista's challenger at SummerSlam with rumors circulated. They were considering giving him the world title. Now he's being sent back to OVW to be repackaged or perhaps released. Now we're going to talk about all the other stuff in just a minute, but first was Muhammad Hassan. And I know we talk about this a lot and you say, oh, well, that's what they thought they heard. 
But when you really look at who all Muhammad Hassan had been working with, Hogan, Cena, Austin, Foley, Undertaker, Sean, it does feel like, okay, fuck, I could see them going with this and that's real heat or whatever. Was it discussed? Hey, we're going to put him in a world title match with Batista at SummerSlam. And what if he became the champion? Absolutely. It was, that was the plan. We were going with Batista and there was discussion. It had not been decided yet whether or not to put the championship on him, but we did talk about what if, and that son of a bitch running around with the WWE championship. Hell yeah. Is it true that in the end, you know, if UPN would have been okay with it, McMahon would have continued or did he see enough of the mainstream heat from everywhere? ESPN. Fox news everywhere to just say, nah, fuck it. Let's just get well, rid of the character completely. Okay. But let's be clear. UPN and, and, and Fox news and CNN and everybody in the post and everybody else, the bitch about the, the, what got the heat was the timing of the angle that we did with the London bombings. Absolutely. Had the London bombings not taken place, it wouldn't then happened. we would have still been going on with that character and no one, and there wouldn't have been, that big backlash. The similarity was, was some of the London bombers were wearing ski masks. So that was where the correlation was. That's where the heat was. Oh my God. Can you believe that just yesterday there were people in ski masks that were planting bombs in London. And now today the WWE is exploiting that. No asshole. We did it last Tuesday. It was all done ahead of time. And no, the bombers weren't encouraged by the ski masks that we used because they hadn't even seen it yet. It was just a horrible coincidence. It, it is sort of weird. You know, they say with anything that's successful, timing is everything. Had you done this angle a year earlier or a year later, certainly a year earlier, what would Muhammad Hassan's upside have been? Do you think? Where were the ceiling of men? God, I, I don't know that there really was a ceiling. And again, it, it all comes back. It all comes back to timing and, and that one moment in time with, with that angle, that timing in London. If, for example, if we had never done the masked men in that, in that same time frame, I don't think anybody would have been crying foul the way that they did. I think that it was just the timing of everything happening within a few days of each other and looking for those that disliked the character. It was a way to put a nail in it and point and say, see, they're evil. They're bad. Look at what they're doing and they're exploiting when that wasn't the case. You know, it, it's one of those deals where, you know, I like to play what if, because instead of it being Muhammad Hassan and Batista at SummerSlam, it's changed and it's Batista and JBL. And instead of being pushed to the moon and maybe given a world title run, he's sent back to OVW. Um, Marcus said, I think Johnny Ace told Sean and I what was going on. I think at the time, initially we were going to fight it. We were going to try to do publicity talk shows, the promo thing in the ring, but then we realized if we fought it and if we still weren't welcome on spike, which is what was showing raw at the time. And of course, UPN was showing SmackDown. 
we knew we'd just be very limited. I don't know exactly how I found out, but within a few weeks of the undertaker segment, we knew the character could never come back to WWE TV. And that's essentially the end. And the torch confirms that to an ABC news reporter. When the spokesperson, Gary Davis says, quote, he was defeated by the undertaker and will not return under the circumstances. It was a respectful way to tie up the storylines. We have done this with other characters as well. There's no question in our minds that it was unfortunate timing of that segment being on July 7th. And that was the ultimate issue with it. The whole point of the storyline and this character was to point out the injustices of Arab Americans and what they have suffered since nine 11. So Davari was headed to deep South in Georgia to see if he could be repackaged. What were you guys thinking of doing with us on here? Well, one of the things that we were thinking of doing, you know, actually with both of them was to basically repackage and bring them back as baby faces and, and flip the script and flip the story and tell the same story in, in a more babyface viewpoint of embracing America and embracing, you know, the American way of life and what have you. I mean, I know we choked a motherfucker out with wire, but we're good. Forgive us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark said, I just moved from Louisville, maybe eight months prior. We weren't assigned to OVW. It could have just been an option, but I was also made aware that it'd be a while before I was called back up. I was told that explicitly. I guess nobody really knows, but at the same time, the character hit so quickly and hard from what I gathered, it's been kind of hard to spin that character into something else that the people would believe or get heat again. Ultimately, in my experience in that last year and what I'd seen, I don't want to say I wouldn't have come back because I would have, if something came up in the immediate future, but I realized I needed to move on from wrestling for my own good. And when asked if he felt the WWE made a mistake by writing the character off, he said, I don't know. Yes. And no, did they miss the boat? They could have continued the character. They could have got a lot more heat for the character, but I think it came down to monetary. You're talking about sponsors pulling and after the London bombings, if they would have continued the character the same way we'd been using it, I think that would have been a bad move. I think WWE and Vince recognized they were going to lose sponsors. If they continued with this, it wasn't like the puppies or Gene Snitsky punting a baby. It wasn't just a storyline in poor taste. Even though Muhammad Hassan wasn't a radicalized fundamentalist, it was a storyline that represented a group that killed innocent people. And I think if you step back and look at it, what is right? And what is parody and what is insensitive? It was becoming insensitive, giving the plight of the United States and Western Europe at this time. And you can never do it now. It started to change in 05 as terrorist attacks became more frequently in heavily populated areas. And they were hitting European countries, not just Syria and Iraq and Iran, just like you couldn't do it now. When they pulled it, I think they were heading into the time when this character and material was just too insensitive to continue. So he gets it. But unfortunately, this is the story of a guy who was done everything that was asked of him and his career is sidetracked, not based on something he did, but the creative that was given to him and it being poorly timed. But really, if you take it a level deeper, once you guys knew that those London attacks happened, his entire career is sort of shit canned here because you guys didn't just edit it the fuck off the show. I don't think that would have mattered. I and mean, we couldn't have edited it all just off the show that easily. It had been done. And frankly, regardless, 
you know, your your buddies Meltzer and Keller would have reported it anyway, and people would have it would have gotten out there, and people would have canned it anyway. No matter what, we had already done it. It was done. Okay, it it had already been done, and no matter what we did, any any decision we made, uh, everybody would have said was wrong. Well, no matter what, they would have painted it as wrong. I agree. They would have. I agree. But if you're not airing it, th- then you can at least say, "Hey, we 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 fucked up. We didn't know. Now that we know, we're not airing it." I mean, it's it's a, it's a matter of you guys. You know, goddamn. If you know what, if somebody had just said before September 11th, you know what, we're going to do better checks on people to get on the fucking airplanes. Now we wouldn't have had people run planes shut, into shut the goddamn the, World Trade Center. But no, that up. it's hindsight. It's now, hindsight. This is not hindsight. This had already it is happened. hindsight. You could have just deleted it. Sure, we could have, and we could have put better security like they had in Israel at the time for people getting on planes in America. What, why are you? What, what a reach you're doing here. This is no. Not- that's no. That that it's that simple. It's it's hindsight. It's saying, well, why didn't you do this? We made a decision. We made a decision with information that we had at the time and what we felt was best at the time. And. But I mean, it backfired. It didn't. It wasn't the best decision that could be made. And so you learn from that and you move on. But when you go back and you say, oh, goddamn, you guys should have done this. Go go run the company. Go and produce your own shows and do your own stuff and make those decisions. And until you've been there to make those decisions, it is easy to sit back and say, well, just say no. Take it off. It wasn't that easy. And we couldn't edit the shows. And what happened with the edited shows that they did arbitrarily in London was they just cut it out. And the network in the United States, the same network that criticized it after the fact, was a part of that decision and didn't feel and felt that just like they did on 24, just like they did on the the other show with the U.S., it's entertainment. They felt that by putting a disclaimer, letting folks know – this is entertainment. This was done before these attacks took place that people would understand it. And there was a backlash. That's all there is to it. It's it's not a goddamn conspiracy of, you know, we want to fuck the people. And it's, no, it's no, not I that complicated. I didn't insinuate that you're trying to fuck the people, but clearly, you know, it's a bad call because you ran the crawl multiple times. To inform people because we were sensitive to it. How was right. that? Di- how was that different really than that any other than don't. any other fictional television show on TV? If you're that sensitive to it, to run the crawl multiple times, why not just delete it? Didn't have that fucking luxury of just deleting it. We didn't have that time. We didn't have that luxury. UPN didn't want to do it. We discussed it. So you're putting we all, didn't. You're we putting- didn't. Hey, hang on. We didn't have years and years of of feedback and all this stuff to, to make the decision. We had hours, literally hours to make a decision. We made the best decision that we could given the amount of time that we had. Well, you had days. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We had hours. It's in a system. It goes boom up. UPN did not have the ability to go live. They, they did not have it. Hence the reason that we were not live on UPN. So it was, no, we didn't have days. It happened on a Wednesday. The show aired on a Thursday. You had hours to make the decision. And there were a lot of people that had to be consulted to make that decision. Just so I'm clear, you're putting the heat on UPN. 
No, I'm not putting the heat on UPI. I just said we all made the decision. But you everyone said, was you involved said, in the you decision. Said they were involved in the decision and they felt like it was just like 24 and everything else and just run the disclaimer and it would be fine. Now, yes, UPN so did we. Out, UPN comes out and baby faces it and says, oh, we can't believe WWE did this and blah, blah, blah. Of course. So they were, they were just, they wanted you to take the heat, but now you're saying, no, they were involved in that. They just needed to have a PR spin. They were involved in it. Okay. Well, absolutely involved in it. Did you have any conversations with, um, Mark since you personally ruined his life all those years ago? Yeah. I personally ruined his life. 100%. You know, and, and when Mark went back and that's why it's, it's a little disheartening to hear him say, Oh, I thought I had to get out of the wrestling business and no one ever told him that. And it, like I said, we had even discussed the possibility of being able to bring him back as a baby face to let him go down there, repackage him and get him away from the main spotlight may take a little time, but definitely bring him back as somebody completely different. You know, he, um, he recently popped back up at an independent earlier this year and allegedly, you know, I didn't see it, but I've heard a lot of people who did, they said he looked like he was in great shape. Now, do you think, what if, as you like to say, there's room for a Muhammad Hassan character? Now, not as Muhammad Hassan. No, thing conjures up too many negatives. I guess it's important to mention here that the real life Muhammad Hassan, you know, the man behind the character, Mark Capone, has gone on to become a teacher, and I think he might even uh, be a principal now. He's obviously got a much different life, and I'm sure a lot of his students would be shocked to hear that. He was Muhammad Hassan, a WWE superstar. What do you think the legacy of Muhammad Hassan, the gimmick will be? Of course, Mark's legacy will be with educating children, uh, not wrestling silliness. What will the, the legacy of Muhammad Hassan be? Will it always be the unfortunate angle? Yeah, I, I think so. Cause I think people tend to dwell on the negative. So I think that's, that's what his legacy will be. What a strange, strange story, man. Uh, Muhammad Hassan, anything else we could touch on here that you want to uh, mention? No, you know, again, it's just world events. Sometimes we'll, we'll fuck a lot of things up and it, it's especially when you are in the, you know, in the world of of entertainment, man, you know, you go back and, and just so many different things from major motion pictures that I, there was an earthquake, uh, movie that was coming out and it was set to debut. And then they had an unfortunate earthquake in Mexico and man, that the movie got, got scrapped. So it's when you're in the entertainment business and, and especially being in wrestling, because it runs that. For so long, by God, we're not entertainment. This is real. Um, people believe there's there's still going to be a faction that you know it, it's real to me, and this is real life, and it is real life. And, you, and sometimes when you cross over, you're using real life human beings to tell fictional stories. Man, shit gets lost, and and it's a tough it's a tough line to toe. It really is. 
What a story, man. Well, coming up, I guess we should tell you, we've got two hot shows coming your way. We've got the invasion coming your way. If you haven't already learned enough about the invasion, we're going to cover the invasion pay-per-view. So go out of your way to check it out. It's from July, 2001. We're going to be coming your way on July 20th with that one. And then of course, on July 27th, we've got something a little extra fun for you. It's vengeance 2003. And I know you've probably forgotten that pay-per-view, but I have not because it's Zach Gowan versus Vince McMahon. I can never forget it. How can you? And we've also got the return of brother love and a little bar scene. So stay tuned for that. And I should mention here at the end of the show that we're also on Patreon now. So some of you have actually heard this show before Friday that we're going to start airing the shows early and ad free. And uh, you can participate in that over at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. And this past week, we had a little extra bonus footage from our Rochester show. We want to thank Rochester for an awesome crowd and a great time. And we're going to be in Pittsburgh this weekend and starting next month, we're going to start live streaming all of these shows. So if you haven't already check us out, patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. You're going to want to get in on all this extra bonus content. We're going to let you pick some topics. You're going to get the shows early. You're going to get them ad free. You're going to get bonus footage from our old archive shows that we've done live and so much more including a something to wrestle weekend here in Huntsville, not Houston. And if you want to see us in Ireland or Scotland, tweet about it, let them know. And hopefully this time next week, we'll have a special announcement for you right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.